Good morning. I'm Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team here at TBA. So glad that you could be here this opening weekend of spring break. Students, are you excited? It's spring break. Are you kidding me? It's spring break. Students, are you excited? (laughs) Teachers and administrators, are you excited? (laughs) I knew somebody was going to be excited in the room. It's spring break. As Amy was saying, next week is Easter. Can you believe it? Doesn't time just fly by? It feels like it was just Christmas. Next week is Easter. I would encourage you, invite your friends next week. It's going to be a powerful Sunday as we come together to worship. You know, 2,000 years ago today, Jesus was making his last entry into Jerusalem right before he would be crucified. And as he's coming into Jerusalem, there's all these people cheering and shouting and singing his praises and they're waving palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And you stop and you think, in just a few days after that, those same people that have been cheering for Jesus and were excited about his entry in Jerusalem, those same people will be yelling and screaming again. But this time, asking for his death. This time, demanding crucifixion. This time, putting him on trial. But thank God it didn't stop there. Because Jesus died for us on the cross, but then he was raised to new life. He rolled the stone away from the tomb, and that's what we'll be celebrating as we come together for Easter next week. And I thought that's a great setup for this week because we're in the middle of this I Am series where Jesus is, he's got all these I Am statements through the book of John, and we've been exploring them. There's seven of them, and we're looking at four specific ones. We started with the Good Shepherd when Jesus told us he is the Good Shepherd and we are the sheep. We had a lot of fun that week, if you remember. And then the next week we talked about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And then last week we talked about Honduras and we we really just kind of put a little twist on that light of the world idea and talked about how we are called to be light and what that looks like and and what God is doing in Honduras and the opportunities that we have to plug into some of that. And it's exciting. And then this morning we really set the tone coming into our Easter celebration with Jesus' statement where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11 is what we're looking at this morning. This is a story that is 44 verses long. He makes that statement in the context of the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And because it's 44 verses, we're not going to go through every single verse, verse by verse this morning, because I promise you, if we did that, we'd be here forever. I can talk a long time on verses, okay? But I'm going to take you through some of the little details. I'm going to tell you some of the rest of the story, give you kind of the Cliff's Notes version as we walk through, but I would encourage you to go back and read it on your own. Read all 44 verses. It's not as long as you think, And I'd love for you to read the whole story. It's very interesting. But let's jump right in. John chapter 11, starting with verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. You ever gotten one of those phone calls? One of those messages, think about what Jesus is hearing. Here's his friends, Mary and Martha, and they're sending word to him, Lord, Lazarus, your brother, your friend, he's sick. And this isn't just like flu or allergies, he's sick, sick. He's on his deathbed. This is the end. We need you to come. We need you to respond. I got one of those calls yesterday. My sister calls me up, and she calls me from somebody else's phone, and so... I didn't even recognize the number, and I was in the middle of fixing dinner, and I I picked up the phone, and I look at it, and I go, uh, I don't know if I want to answer this. I'm kind of busy right now. I don't know who's going to be on the other end, and 
finally hits, hit answer and, and picked it up, and it's my sister on the other end. She goes, we were just in this terrible car wreck on I-4, and it rolled my truck. And I'm like, whoa, that wasn't the phone call I was expecting to get. And it took me a minute for it to click and go, wait a minute, my sister's calling me, so she's obviously okay, but it was just scary. And you've been on the other end of those car, calls, haven't you? Or you've sat across the desk from the doctor when the doctor says, I'm sorry, it's, it's cancer. There's nothing we can do. Or you've been in that conversation with your spouse where they go, I love you, but I just can't do it this way anymore. I'm leaving. Or you go into work and the boss says, I'm really sorry, but we had a downsize and there's just not a place for you here anymore. We've all gotten those kinds of messages. And they're not easy, are they? And that's what Jesus is hearing here. He's hearing, your friend is sick. He's near death. This is the end. Jesus, come. And so how does Jesus respond? Verse 4 says, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. <sighs> Thank goodness. It's all going to be better now. You listen to Jesus' words and you go, okay, he's given us perspective. It's all going to be better now. Everything's okay. La this is not going to end in Lazarus' death. It's all good. Doesn't it just give you hope when you hear those words? And then how does Jesus respond as it continues? Verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. What? He stayed where he was. What are you talking about? Lazarus is sick. He's almost dead. This is the end. Jesus, we need you to show up. This is Mary and Martha saying, we believe in you. You're the Messiah. You're the great teacher. We've walked with you and done life with you, and we know how powerful you are, and we need you here. And Jesus stays where he is for two more days. He just hangs out. Mary, Martha, all the rest of the family, they're freaking out because they're in this tragic moment in their life. And Jesus is just hanging out for a couple more days where he is. Ever felt that way? He's just hanging out. The story continues. He waited a couple days, then he says to his disciples, we need to go back to Judea. We need to go back to Bethany. Bethany's in Judea. Because Lazarus has fallen asleep, and we need to go and wake him. And his disciples are fighting back against him. Lord, we, we can't go back there. We just came from Judea. They're trying to kill us. If we go back there, surely we'll all die. We can't go back there. What are you thinking? And what do you mean? Lazarus has fallen asleep. Doesn't that mean he's getting better? I mean, if you sleep, obviously you're recovering. Everything's going to be okay, right? See, the disciples, they're, they're kind of like you and me. They're a little dense sometimes. But nobody else agrees with that? Okay, I'm a little dense sometimes. He goes, no, you don't get it. Lazarus isn't taking a nap. He died. Lazarus has died, and now we need to go be with him. When I say he's fallen asleep, he's passed on. Hmm. Jesus' response. See, you go back to verse 4. Look at what he said. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. 
See, it wasn't that Jesus didn't love Mary and Martha. It wasn't that he didn't love Lazarus. It wasn't that he didn't want to be there. He knew God had a different plan. And he's following God's timing in the plan. And so he hangs out for a couple of days. As we continue in the story, I want to help you connect with three different characters that are in the story. And I hope that one of them will be somebody you can connect to and you'll resemble in your own life. In fact, some of you may be able to resemble all three of them or connect with all three of them. But the first one I want to look at is Thomas. And this is Doubting Thomas as we know him. The same Thomas who, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he comes to the upper room and he says, Jesus, I need to see the holes in your hand and the holes in your feet and the holes in your side. I need to know that it's you. He questions everything. And see, I don't think Thomas just started doubting in that moment. I think that had been part of who he was. He was always a guy who doubted. He was always a guy who questioned everything. And look what it says here in verse 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, now you're going to like this. This is a very good example of sarcasm in the Bible. Let's go to and die with Jesus. What are you thinking, Jesus? Go back to Judea. They're trying to kill us there. Okay, disciples, come on. Let's all go. Let's go with Jesus and we'll die with him. Why would we do that? I don't want to die with you. Why are we going back there? See, Thomas was doubting what needed to happen. He was doubting God's plan. He was doubting Jesus' thought process. What are you thinking, Jesus? Why would we go back there? Have you ever had doubts in God, in your faith journey? How many of you be honest enough to say, I've had doubts, I've struggled with doubt from time to time? If you're not raising your hand, you're probably not telling the truth. Because we all doubt. We all struggle with that. We all have questions from time to time to go, how do I get through this? I think in my own life, and there's all these stories that I could go back to that, that I've just questioned, God, what are you thinking in this moment? But there's one that just stands out to me. About three years ago, there was a family in our church that, that had a, a baby. She was about a year old. Her name was Lily. And Lily had Down syndrome. And so Sherry and I connected quickly with the family because Sherry's little brother has Down syndrome. And so we've walked a lot of that journey, and we know some of the things that come with that. And, and if you don't know anything about Down syndrome, a lot of times someone with Down syndrome will have certain heart defects or some other things that, other problems within the body that they have to overcome. And so Lily had a major heart defect, and they were doing surgery to repair it. And Sherry and I went over to the hospital to be with the family and, and really just felt like we had made this connection, this bond with the family. And, and we're standing there praying with them and she had just come out of surgery like the day before and, and so far things were looking good. And we're praying with, with mom and dad and praying with Lily and, and you know, for me it was just this thing of I know God's going to heal her. I just had this peace about it. And for Sherry it was interesting. She felt like God laid it on her heart that he was going to be faithful to Lily and she needed to give, him, give Lily her rock. And you go, her rock? What are you talking about? Well, like two weeks before, at church on Sunday morning, we had talked about all the different characteristics of God. And we had gone through and labeled a bunch of them and talked about how they speak in our lives. And, and essentially, the, the core of the message that day was, we need to believe that God is who he says he is, not who we sometimes think he is. And so at the end, I put this slide up on the screen, and it had all these different characteristics of God, things that are God's very character, not just things that he says he's about, but things that he is, things that he reflects. And I challenge people to come forward and to take a white stone, and, th and this is out of a scripture in Revelation, I won't get into all the details, but to come forward, take a white stone, and to write with a sharpie on it, one of those characteristics that you felt like God was laying on your heart, 
What's one of those things that you needed in your own life, you need to be able to carry with you to remind you that this is what God's speaking into you? And Sherry had written faithful on her rock that morning. And so two weeks later, we're in the hospital and we're praying for Lily, praying for her family, and, and Sherry just felt like God laid it on her heart. I need to give her that rock. And so she laid the rock there in the crib and we explained to her family what it was all about and what it meant. And, and so we left that day and the next day we get a text and it's a picture of Lily laying there in her crib and she's got that rock in her hand and she's holding tight to it. And I went, that's just a cool sign. That, that's God speaking. He's faithful in this moment. Well, a week later, Lily passed away in her mom's arms. They're at the hospital. And I went, now what? Now what? What do you do with that? God, you said you were going to be faithful. You, you gave us the sign. You showed us a picture. What do I do? And in those moments, doubt creeps in. Well, God, are you really faithful? Do you really mean what you say? Are you really that characteristic? How do I wrestle through that? How, how do I answer the questions? And I'll tell you the same thing I shared with the family and quite honestly was trying to convince myself as I walked through it. These are the moments where we don't know why. I can't answer the question. But I just have to choose to trust. I have to choose to believe that God is still who He says He is, even when it doesn't make sense to me. I have to choose to believe that God's faithful in those moments where it doesn't line up with how I pictured faithful. See, I think God was faithful in that moment. But it wasn't how I imagined it. It wasn't the picture that I had painted. And see, I think too many times we get to those moments where those doubts creep in. And we struggle to wrestle through those doubts and overcome those doubts. And we come to a place that we're literally dead in our doubts. And I think it's where Thomas lived much of his life. Dead in his doubts. Questioning everything. Doubting everything. Wondering why things happen. Trying to explain it all. Trying to make it all make sense. And sometimes you just have to come to the place where you go, God, your perspective is so much bigger than mine. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. I don't know why you would allow that to happen. I don't know why this goes the way it goes. But I trust you anyway. You ever been there? Dead in your doubts? Just feels like a, a piece of your heart has died. Maybe doubt's not a big struggle for you. Maybe you have a strong faith and, and the doubt just doesn't creep in as often as it does for some of the rest of us. But maybe you would relate more with where Mary was in the story. Starting in verse 18, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Lazarus has died. Everybody's gathering around. Family and friends are all coming into town to support and encourage. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But look at what Mary did. But Mary stayed in the house. She stayed in the house. 
What's the point? It's already over, Jesus. He's dead. It's done. It's finished. Okay, I'm glad you're showing up, but it's already hopeless. This is done. We called for you days ago and asked you to come because we knew you could heal our brother. But now he's dead. I don't need to come see you. See, Mary was dead in her discouragement. She looked at life and everything looked dark. It seemed like all hope was lost. It seemed like there was no way to get through it. And see, I think a lot of us are similar. We can become dead in our discouragement the same way. We look at life and we go, this struggle will never end. This, this thing, it'll never go away. I'll never be able to get over this addiction. I'll never be able to get away from the bottle or away from the drugs or away from the pornography or away from whatever it is. This will just go on and on and on. We look at marriage and we go, will it never be any better than this? Will we always come back to this same fight over and over and over? Will we be stuck here forever? Is this what God intended? Or as parents... We look at our kids and we go, will they always make that decision over and over? Will they never be able to see beyond that? Will they never be able to turn life around and see the destruction that's happened there? We get stuck in our dead-end job. Is this what it will always be like? Will I never find peace or hope? Will I never get beyond this? And part of our heart dies in those moments as we face discouragement and we feel hopeless. That's where Mary was. What's the point? I don't need to come out and see you, Jesus. It's already over now. It's hopeless. Or maybe you connect with Martha. Martha's a little more challenging. I like her. She's like me. Or maybe I'm like her. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This is your fault, Jesus, essentially. Why didn't you come? Where were you? We called you. My brother wouldn't be dead if you had come because I know you could have done something about it. But now, it's too late. It's all over. She was dead in the delay. God didn't show up in her timing. God didn't show up when she expected him to show up. Have you been there? Were you there now? You've been praying and praying and praying for this one thing, and it seems like God just never shows up. God, I've been praying about my marriage for the last 10 years, and we're still stuck in the same place. When are you going to show up and do something about it? When are you going to show me how to get over this? Or, God, I've been praying to be married for the last 10 years or 20 years. And I'm doing all the right things. I'm being obedient. I'm following after you. I'm, I'm doing everything you ask me to do and I just can't seem to find a spouse. My friends, they're doing it all wrong. They're going after it the wrong way. They're not being obedient to you. They're not following after you and yet they're getting married. Why am I always the one in the wedding instead of having a wedding? Or God, we've been praying for years to have a baby. Why can't we have a baby? Our friends, the people who sit across from us in a small group, they wink at each other and get pregnant. And we can't have a baby. 
Where are you, God? When are you going to show up? You've been praying for that loved one, that family member, that friend who desperately needs to know the hope of Christ in their life. And they just don't ever seem to come around. And you find yourself praying and praying and praying, God, reveal yourself to them. Open their heart. Allow me to say something. It seems like the opportunity never happens. And you're discouraged. And you feel like God just isn't showing up. Let me encourage you for a minute. Just because God chooses to delay does not mean that he denies. And you need to hear that because I, I think we get stuck in this sometimes, but I think God answers prayer in one of three ways. Sometimes he says yes, and we love those moments. Sometimes he says no, and we don't like that so well because none of us like to hear no, do we? It's just like our kids. They don't want to hear you say no. You don't want to hear God say no to you. But then there's times where God just says, wait. Wait. It's not my time yet. Yeah, I know you're calling Jesus to come back and fix Lazarus to heal him, but it's not my timing yet. He's going to hang out for a couple days first. And there's a reason, even though you can't see it and even though you can't understand it, wait. See, when you step back and you look at the big picture... I think this is our struggle right here. We've made it through verse 21 in the story. And this is where we get stuck. We're dead in our doubt, dead in our discouragement, dead in God's delay. And we go, it'll never get any better than this. I've got to learn to deal with it somehow. And those dead places in our heart, we lock them away. We bury them. And we hide them. And we try to face life without dealing with them, without looking at it. But this is not the end of the story. This is verse 21. We're not even quite halfway yet. It's not the end. Let me give you a little bit more context around Lazarus. Go back to verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now we read across this and you go, okay, he's been dead four days, but we glance across it because often we don't understand the cultural context here. Now this is not a, a religious belief, this is not a Jewish belief, but culturally there was a belief in this day and time that when someone would die, that their spirit would stick around the body for three days. So somebody dies, they're laid in a tomb, but the, the spirit just kind of hovers over them and sticks around for two or three days. They're going to be there just in case something happens. If that heartbeat kicks back in, they can come back. You know, maybe they're just mostly dead, like Princess Bride. They're not fully dead. They're not all the way dead yet. So the, body, the, the spirit just hovers. But on the fourth day, the belief was that the spirit goes away. Well, now he's dead. He's dead, dead. All the way dead. And so it's important that you see this, because Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. He's dead. It's over. There's a reason Mary and Martha feel the way they do. There's a reason they're discouraged. There's a reason that they're questioning God's delay because they're going, there's nothing that can be done now. It's been four days. The Spirit's gone. He's dead. It's over. And now you show up. 
Go back to Martha's words to Jesus. Verse 21, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's frustrated. But I want you to listen to what she says in the very next verse. Verse 22. It just happens to be the exact halfway point in the story, 44 verses long. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Even now, even in my discouragement, even in my doubt, even in your delay, even knowing everything is hopeless at this point, even knowing that Lazarus is dead and has been dead four days, even knowing all of that, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, I know you. I've seen what you can do. I know that you're the Messiah. I know that you're the great teacher. I know that you can heal. I know that you can do miracles. And even now, in the midst of all of this, you can show up and do something amazing. And God's power can come through you. See, I look around the room and I go, there's a bunch of us that need one of those even now kinds of moments. Even now, in the middle of all of my doubts, in the middle of all of my questioning, in the middle of this seemingly hopeless situation, God's Spirit can come in and breathe peace and breathe comfort. Even now, in the midst of my discouragement, where everything seems dark and black and there's no hope, God, I know that you can work in amazing ways. I know that you can give me the courage to face another day. I know that you can build my faith. Even now, in the midst of broken relationships, in the middle of my jacked-up family, you can do amazing things to reconcile and restore. It's not too late. It seems like it. It feels like it. But it's not. Even now. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Wait, he's been dead four days. He's dead, dead. This is over. Your brother will rise again. What's Martha do? She does like all of us. She explains it away. You ever been here? Yes, Martha said. He'll rise when everybody else rises at the last day. I've read your word. I've, I've learned about all this. I understand what you're saying. He's going to rise when you come back. Okay. But it's too late right now. And Jesus is saying, no, today. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe? I am the resurrection and the life. He's not saying that I can do resurrection or I can cause resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. You need to hear this clearly, and this is a bold statement in the middle of your outline, so if you haven't filled out any other blank, it's okay. Fill this one out, because you need to walk away with this one today. The resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person. The resurrection is not an event, it's a person. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and life. When resurrection walks in the room, dead things don't stay dead. And it doesn't matter whether they were mostly dead or all the way dead. When he shows up, something changes. He breathes new life into the situation. He breathes new life into the relationship. He breathes new life into those dead places in our hearts. I am the resurrection and the life. 
We skip ahead in the story a little bit. Jesus goes to the tomb, and he tells the disciples, roll the stone away. And I love it. It's another classic response from Martha. She's protesting. She's fighting back against Jesus. You can't roll the stone away. Look at the second half of verse 39. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. King James says it really beautifully. He will stinketh. Yeah, you're right. He's going to stink. He's been dead four days, and they didn't have the embalming practices we had. They wrapped some spices and oils around the boy to make him smell better. There's a reason they put him in a tomb and rolled a rock over it and sealed it up because nobody wanted to smell that. He's been dead four days. He's going to smell like death. You don't want to roll that stone away. Why is it that we fight God all the time in these things? Jesus looks at us and he goes, I want to roll the stone away in that area of your heart. I want to dig into that tomb, that place that you buried that death to your heart. And I want to breathe new life into it. And we fight back, yeah, but Lord, you don't want to roll that stone away. It stinks in there. It's nasty. It's dirt. I know what's in there. I know what's buried. I know how bad it is. You don't want to go there. Jesus responded. He's talking to Martha here. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Get out of the way, Martha. Let me do what I came here to do. Didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you would just believe? But pay attention to what this statement says and what it doesn't say because this is the key statement in the story. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? See, here's where it gets real. Because for many of us, we pray and we expect God to respond in our way. We expect God to respond with our plan. It's like the genie in the bottle thing again. Rub the lamp and get him to do what you want him to do. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? See, sometimes God's glory looks exactly the way we want it to. And those are awesome moments in life. Those times where you pray for something and God shows up and something amazing happens and you go, that's exactly what I expected him to do. And your faith is strengthened in amazing ways. But what about the moments where you pray something and God's glory doesn't exactly look like your plan? What about the moments where God says, I'm faithful, and you put the rock in the baby's hand and she dies a week later? Now what? Was that part of God's glory? You better believe it. It wasn't what I prayed for. Wasn't what I wanted. Surely wasn't what her parents wanted. But it was part of God's glory, and he was faithful in that moment. You see, I was praying that God would heal Lily, and he did. He did. But not like I thought he would. I am 100% confident that she is with her Heavenly Father 
completely healed, completely restored, enjoying life like we've never known and can't possibly understand. But that wasn't the picture that I had painted in my own mind. See, I think there's times where God's glory is revealed and it lines up with our way of thinking and it just all makes sense. And then there's moments where we have to choose to believe that God is who he says he is. And we have to choose to understand that your glory is so much bigger than my understanding and my perspective and I can't always get it. I can't always figure it out. I can't always explain it because your perspective is different than mine and your plan is grander than mine. So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. And here's my favorite part. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Why is it that we're so stubborn and hard-headed when it comes to things like this? That Jesus has to say it out loud so that we'll understand God's doing something here. I've got to say it out loud so everybody will hear and believe you're getting ready to do something amazing. Because if I just do it, they may just think it was coincidence. They may rationalize it away. They may explain it in some other form or fashion. But no, I'm saying it out loud so they'll pay attention and know that you're doing something. And then he shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. The dead, dead man four days dead, stinketh dead, came out of the tomb. See, I think Jesus speaks into our lives in the same ways. A lot of times he's saying, come out. I rolled the stone away. Come out. Bring me that dead place. Let me breathe new life into it. And we respond just like Lazarus. The dead man came out with his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, He was alive, he was moving, he came out of the tomb, but he's still wrapped up like a dead man. He's still bound by the grave clothes. And some of us live our lives that way. Jesus is breathing new life into us. We've surrendered our heart to him. We've allowed him to come in and be a part of our life, but we still walk around like we're wearing our grave clothes, like we're dead in life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him. Let him go. Get those grave clothes off of him. He has new life. The resurrection is standing here. He's called him out, and there's new life breathed into him. And he wants to do the same for you and me. He wants to breathe new life into those dead ends in our life. He wants to breathe new life into those areas of doubt and those areas of discouragement and the, the areas where we feel God's delayed. He wants to breathe new life into our spirit, into our heart and our soul. See, if I'm being completely honest, for probably the last six months or maybe even longer, I've been battling discouragement. And in every area of life, in my personal life, in professional life, you name it, I've just been walking through it. And it's been one of those seasons in life where you just feel like you're drowning. I know you've been there. I know I'm not the only one. It's like every time you come up for air, you get hit again and pushed under. And I've been walking through one of those. 
But God's been doing some amazing things in my heart recently. And especially in the last month, I've just been able to sense how he's breathing new life into me and renewing that passion and restoring that faith and restoring that that courage and that desire to, to go charge another mountain and go do something else. And that's what he wants to do in all of us. He's standing before saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me breathe new life into those dead places in your heart. Let me breathe new life into you. If you'll just believe and you'll just let me roll that stone away, I can do something amazing even after four days of death that stinks. For some of you, the stuff you've buried in those tombs that you have in your heart, they've been there for 20 and 30 and 40 years. Forget four. You talk about stink. Ugh. But he wants to roll that stone away and breathe new life into you. Band, you guys can come forward. I'm going to ask you to respond this morning. And I'll say it's in a unique way. It's, it's something we've done before, but I'm going to ask you to do something a little different with it. I want you to take some time this morning to pray about what are those things in your life that are your struggles? What are those dead ends, those dead places in your heart? And it may be one of the three I've mentioned. Maybe you connect really well with one of those things or maybe it's something totally different. But you know what that is. You know those dead places in your heart. And I want to ask you to come forward this morning and be bold enough to write that down on a card. There's pens here. There's note cards all across the stage. And I want you to write that struggle in that dead place on that card. But now I want to ask you to be a little bolder than that. Because all the time we, we, we do this kind of thing where you come and you write something down, but you're anonymous, and, and you can leave it there, and nobody knows it was yours. I'm going to ask you to write your name on the card and then write some way for somebody to contact you, a phone number, email address, whatever it may be. And I want you to leave the card up here. And I'm going to ask women, if you will, when you write yours, if you'll fold your card in half so that we know it's a lady's card. And then men, if you will not fold yours, please. Because I'm also going to ask, some of you who maybe aren't struggling this morning, maybe you're in a little better place, or even some of those who bring your own card, but you're willing to commit to praying for someone else, come and take one of those cards. Guys, you come take a guy's card that's laid out flat. Ladies, you take another lady's card that's folded over. And I'm going to ask you to contact that person. I want you to commit to praying for them. But if you would be so bold, I would challenge you to go a step further and not just commit to praying for them, but commit to actually walking with them through this journey. To check in with them periodically, to let them know that you're praying for them. To let them know that you care, that they're not alone in this journey. Because that's how Satan messes with our head all the time. He makes us think that we're alone in whatever we're walking through. Sometimes we just need to be reminded, hey, you're not alone. This is not as bad as you think it is. Sometimes somebody else can step into our circumstances and go, wait, you're missing what's happening here. All you see is the discouragement. All you see is the doubt. All you see is God's delay, but you're not seeing how God's moving all around you and he's setting all these things in place and there's something amazing happening here. But we get so stuck in our circumstances we can't see it. So I'm going to ask you to come and write that struggle down, put your contact information, leave it here on the stage, and then others come and take those cards and commit to praying with that person and walking with them on the journey. For some of you this morning, maybe you've never surrendered your heart at all. Maybe you've never experienced the life-giving power of Jesus and how he wants to change your heart. And I would challenge you this morning, let this be the day you do that. I'm going to be available here in the front, over to the side. Some of our prayer team will be available as well if needed. 
Come and talk with me or talk with one of the prayer team. Pray with us. Allow us to help you begin that journey and give you some resources to help you start that. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, wants to breathe new life into your heart today. Will you allow him to do that? I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to play a little bit, and I would encourage you to come and respond. Let's pray. Go ahead and stand. God, thank you for how you're speaking to our hearts today. Thank you that you are the resurrection and the life and that you're breathing new life into us, God. Thank you that you are willing to roll that stone away even though what's inside stinks. Even though all we can see is death and all we can see is the end and hopelessness, you are breathing new hope into those situations, into those places of our heart. God, help us to be willing to let you roll that stone away to let you deal with our addictions and our depression and our struggles with anger and our, our worries about our kids and our family and our marriages that are broken. Whatever it is, God, speak new life into us today. Rip those grave clothes away and let us walk free in your power, the resurrection and the life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.